Hey, beautiful. What's good in your life today? That's what I want to know. I'm Kia, and this is the fourth episode of the Female Veterans Podcast. Now, today, I'm here with a very beautiful guest. Her name is Nicole, and she is incredible. She is a former Marine Lance Corporal. She is a green belt with a stripe in Kung Fu and a very successful model here in Portland. Most recently, she's produced the Fringe Fashion PDX show to raise funds for the nonprofit group Pair that focuses on rehabilitation for troubled youth in the Portland area. So obviously, she's amazing. Now, if you want to learn more about Pair, check out pairmentor.org and check out Fringe Fashion PDX. So Nicole, my first question for you is what made you join the military? Um, the military for me was something to pay for college and I wanted to travel was my main mm -hmm. thing when I joined the military. I joined because I wanted to travel, see the world, and I saw North Carolina, South Carolina, Maine, and Afghanistan. So. <laughs> you saw more than me. I joined the Navy. <laughs> I was going to go on a boat, like on a carrier, and just go all around the world. And I saw North Chicago and Palm Springs. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so I feel well, you. Let me tell you, Afghanistan's definitely not a vacation spot, all right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. So, okay, so you joined to see the world. And you didn't see much. All right. But yeah. tell me then, what was boot camp like for you? <laughs> Marine Corps boot camp was absolute hell. Like, it's three months of just, you know, getting screamed at. You're never good enough. Like, you are the lowest of the low for an entire three months. Wow. They really tried to break you down there, huh? Well, yeah. And well, that's what they do. They, they're, I mean, their core philosophy is they break you down to build you back up. Like, you yeah. you go through it and you feel like crap, but then at the end you're like, yeah, you guys are amazing, even though you treated me like shit. <laughs> yeah, it's called Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is though, isn't it? Um, so mm -hmm. how how did you make it through? How did you like? I can't imagine. Like I was Navy and I found that boot camp was bad, but it wasn't horrible. How did you make it through Marine boot camp? Because that is the last boot camp that I ever thought I'd want to go to. I just thought about everybody who told me that I wouldn't make it. Right. And I, it was basically like a big screw you to them. Right on. So did you make a lot of friends in boot camp? Do you, do you still keep in touch with those girls at all? No, I, I haven't been in contact with anybody from boot camp. The only, the only people that I've kept in contact with are a couple of people that I deployed with and one girl specifically that um, we've gone through a lot of the same stuff and we bonded via that and the med board process when I got out. Right on. Okay. So after boot camp, what was your next step? After boot camp, I went home on uh, recruiting assistance for about a month and I basically um, helped my recruiters screw other people over into the Marine Corps oh. <laughs> for a month. And, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> oh geez. Uh, and then we then, I then went to military combat training, which is about a month long. 
um, a week into that, I, my pack broke and then I had stress fractures in my hips. And I, I mean, the training is a month long and I just continued to hike and do everything on those stress fractures because I did not want to start the training. Right on. Yeah. Did you feel a lot of pressure to continue or was that like a personal choice that you made? Um, it was kind of a little bit of both. Like when be being in a female in a very male dominated, um, Mm -hmm. like branch you feel the need to like try to prove yourself because you're like I, I don't care like because you have to do I don't know it, you you feel almost like you have to do just as good as the guys so you have to be just as strong or just as tough as them because or tougher yeah. I mean yeah well you you have to prove yourself <laughs> and it's kind of difficult to do and in the combat training um area that's the first time that females and males like really intermingle in their training right well, I'm curious, like, what made you choose the Marines? Because, I mean, when I chose to enlist, I looked at all the all the branches, obviously, but I never once considered the Marines. Honestly, it was a really good recruiter. Wow. <laughs> I was all signed up, ready to go for the Air Force, and my Air Force recruiter looked like he hated his life, and the Marine Corps recruiter was like, yeah, life is amazing go join the Marines and you can be as happy and amazing as me. And I was like, I want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I was choosing between the Navy and the Air Force. And mm-hmm. when I went into the recruiter and I was still in high school because I knew I was going straight out of high school. So yeah. I went to see the, the Air Force recruiter and I remember distinctly his uniform was so polished and his shoes were amazing. And I looked at him and I thought, wow, they are really together in the Air Force. They look like they, Mm -hmm. you know, have everything in order and everything is just pristine. And then I went to see the Navy recruiter and he was like, honestly, kind of a mess. And he was just so (laughs) laid back and he was really, really chill. And he had like no presentation. He was like, I forgot my presentation. And I don't know why that appealed to me. It should have been a sign. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I feel like this guy, and he just talked to me about all the fun he had. And I was like, that sounds like for a private school girl, I was like, I want to have some fun. I have been structured. Right? Why I thought going into the military would be less structured than private school, I don't know. But I did actually have a lot of fun. In <laughs> yeah. the so I can't really complain. So I, I get you there on the recruiter. No, I was a really good fucking recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, okay. All right. So now you've, you're in and you're now active. What was your job? I was an 0481 landing support specialist. Uh, basically, our job is logistics is the best way to really uh, describe that. Um, if something has to go to somewhere or from somewhere, we're the people who make sure everything is in places. Uh, we run, yeah, we, we run like, you know, rail ops, port ops, um, helicopter support teams where like, I mean, you've seen like, you know, the helicopters like carrying stuff underneath yeah. of it. We, we hook that stuff up to the helicopters while they're like hovering over the top of us. Ooh. Yeah. That, that was the best part of the job ever. It was such an adrenaline rush. I bet. <laughs> it sounds interesting. So did you have a lot of other females that you worked with in your, in your job? Uh, there was a decent number of females, um, that, that I worked with. I think our entire, the entire unit, 
of the people that I deployed with, there was only one other person, one other female that had the same job as me though. Um, there's a lot of, you know, other girls like motor T and stuff like that. But I mean, in, in my job, the, the unit that I deployed with, there was one other girl. Right on. So uh, obviously as a hospital corpsman for the Navy, I have a profound fondness for Marines because we take care of you guys. And well, yeah, I mean like you're a devil docs because <laughs> Lord, Lord knows jar heads can't do it. Can't take care of themselves. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Um, and, and I've heard that so many times. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so, okay. So now I need to know, what was your experience like in the military? Oh, I, in the beginning, I was really, really into it. I was super excited, but I mean, it was an absolute shit show for me in the military. Wow. And I, I mean, and I have friends and stuff that I hold on to and some experiences. I mean, there's good memories, but for the most part, like I, I, I would not do it again for sure. Wow. Like what were some of the obstacles that you faced? Uh, one of the biggest obstacles that, uh, I faced was just being a female in the Marine Corps because Mm. uh, it's just, it's difficult when you are in this whole world of, you know, just high guys who just think women are just bleeding, like below them, beneath them. Um, I, I was, it was difficult uh, because I was raped three times while I was in. Oh my God. Um, three times? Yeah. Uh, the first one was unreported. The second one was reported, investigated, and then they told me that, you know, like, oh, well, you know, we can't find the person, so uh, you're lying. <laughs> wait, then, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> hold on, <laughs> hold on, because you're going through this really, really fast, and mm-hmm. I just want to understand, okay? Mm-hmm. The first mm-hmm. time you said you didn't report. I didn't report, no. Um, and that was because, I mean, like, everyone was like, oh, you know, because there was people who knew about it, because they... They were the ones who got me drunk in the first place. I mean, I drank the alcohol, whatever. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. What's the story here? So I'm guessing you went out, because in the military, we we party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. A bunch of people, I'm guessing, right? And then what happened? Oh, so it was a barracks room kind of a deal. Like, we were all, like, drinking in the barracks room. And um, it was my first time ever drinking, because I grew up in a very sheltered household. Mm. (laughs) And so, you know, I was like, well, yeah, we're going to go out drinking. And I was like, well, never drank before. So let's do this. I ended up doing like, like I, I drink quite a bit, like six or seven, like shots of whiskey, drink some beer. I was like, I was <laughs> like, well, I don't feel anything. Drunk, you're like, let's keep going. Especially like, your well, first time. yeah, my first time I didn't know, like, you know, you don't know what to expect that you're going to feel. And then so I was like, I don't feel anything. And all of a sudden, like, I was like, super. <laughs> yeah. So you're in the barracks room. You're completely wasted. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing someone, one of your coworkers or. Yeah, honestly, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very. All, all I know is that it did happen. And, um, and so, and then afterwards, like, you know, some of my quote unquote friends came up and they're like, oh, well, 
you like you don't want to report it like you're going to ruin his career and, and ruin all this his stuff. Career. You don't want to mm-hmm. report it. Can I just say it? you don't want to report it because you're going to ruin his career. Yeah. Amazing. That is some awful awful stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then like <laughs> And then shortly after that, like I was going through some health issues at the time. Um, and like, I ended up thinking that I might've been pregnant because I hadn't you know, had my period in forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, come to find out all that was due to a hormone imbalance due to a cyst on my thyroid. But, uh, so basically, you know, I had to go, yeah, no, it's still, still scary. But I had to go and go to the docs and get, you know, the pregnancy tests and stuff like that. And on the way down there, you know, staff sergeant picks me up to take me down there because I'm in the schoolhouse and you can't do anything because you're treated like a child. And you right. can't do anything by yourself. And I basically got the from pickup to drop off, basically staff sergeant telling me that I was a whore the entire way there. Oh. And... <laughs> And how that, you know, you're going to, I'm going to ruin my life, this, that, and the other. And I was just like, and I okay, well, this is fine. felt awful. And on yeah. top of everything that you've been through, now you're being completely talked down to and berated by a superior. And, you know, like, you know, the military really needs its own Me Too movement. Like hashtag, <laughs> hashtag the military. Like seriously, right? <laughs> and so I can't even just imagine that being called a whore and all of these things just because you know the base is a small place and I imagine everybody's talking, you know. And now you yeah. get a pregnancy test and it's because you're sick. But then everything you're going through after what you just experienced and now you're worried that you might be pregnant. I cannot even imagine having been assaulted and then being afraid that I might be pregnant. And then having someone berate me and just flanderize me to my face for an entire like length of time to just go also while I'm stressed out about like, it's just all. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It, it was a complete shit show the entire time. But I mean, and, and then like after all that, I was like, I'm definitely not reporting this shit because if this is going on, like, and I haven't no way. reported it yet. I'm not going to say anything. So that's, yeah, that's, that's understandable. I could totally understand how you could come. Cause like for, for me, you know, I knew some girls that, you know, were assaulted. In fact, when I was on the base, there was like a rapist loose for, I think like three months and we were just mm-hmm. in error. Like he was just raping mm-hmm. girls and not getting caught. And it just was, it was horrifying to be on the base at that time. And I can't even imagine like what they must have been going through. And you think, oh, if this happens, I'm going to want to report. But then you start to realize all of the people talking and everything you're being put through as the victim, why people like just don't want to deal with it. Like, I'd rather just not deal with it. I don't want to deal with any of this. I'll just move on with my life and try to you know, get past it on my own without. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I was like, I, I don't want to deal with this. Like, whatever, we'll just move on. And I, I like, this, I was like, this is a schoolhouse. I don't ever have to see this stupid fucker again. Like, yeah, because they're going to go, they're going to get stationed elsewhere. 
after this. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're, we're going to get stationed elsewhere. I won't have to see him again, whatever. Like I, I don't have to deal with it. And, and then, um, he did end up getting stationed in California and then I was stationed in the camp of June. Right. So, so that, that like, I mean, gone, whatever. And I, I was like, okay, that chapter of my, my life is done. We're just going to get over it. Like cool beans, whatever. And then you start moving, moving on with your life. And then what happened? Mm-hmm. And then I get to the fleet and, um, I was out drinking with some of my friends and then we, so we, we went out on the town and I'm like, you know, you hit the fleet. It's like you're, I think it was my second weekend in the fleet. Um, we went out drinking, came back, um, and drank a little bit more in the barracks room. And then, you know, they preach like that. It's, you know, it's a brotherhood, this and the other, we're all going to take care of each other. And every single time that I was raped, it was by a fellow Marine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, they, yeah, brotherhood. But, yeah. <laughs> and so like, in that. yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I was drunk as fuck. I passed out in my barracks room, like whatever, like I'm, I'm done with this. Like, and everybody else was like partying still in the room. I didn't care because I figured my roommate would, you know, make sure nothing happened. Oh, man. But, but yeah, like I, I wake up and then there's this dude and this, that, and the other. Like it, it happened again, and I and I was a I was a hot mess for gosh. Afterwards, I didn't report right away. Um, I waited for like gosh, three days. And one of my, one of my people, one of my friends came up and they're like, Hey, you know, what's up? Like, like you are like way out there. Like you're not the way you used to be. You're not acting like you usually do what's going on. And then, so then I opened up and I told them and then between, I told them at breakfast at lunchtime, I was in first sergeant's office and he was talking to me about, you know, everything that happened. And then what really was shitty is that he told me that either I was going to report it or he was going to force an investigation on it, which I was in the fleet for all of a week and a half, two weeks. I didn't know that he couldn't do that. Like he, he had no power to force an investigation at all. Right. Um, they made the investigation extremely public. They, um, did all NCIS came and picked me up from the company office, which was at the barracks during lunchtime to do an investigation and, you know, pull all the people. And then they dropped me off at, you know, after everybody got off work at the barracks. And so everybody was there. Mm-hmm. And then when they came to like, you know, look through basically like a regular criminal investigation kind of a thing or like what clothes were you wearing to go investigate the room and stuff like that. They did that all during lunchtime. So everybody was there. Oh my God. And so basically after a while they didn't find anybody and NCIS (laughs) is like, well, since we didn't find anybody, um, we're not filing against people for doing false, um, like false, proclamations i don't know and wait and wait wait, like, wait did they did they kind of insinuate that you made a false claim yeah that's exactly what they did oh my god so on top of this being your second experience being forced 
to report against your wishes, they now are telling you that you made it up. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, well, actually, yeah. it's believable, which is what makes it work. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like, it's totally believable, which is what makes it so, so much worse. Because I've, I mean, I've talked to many veterans about this, and they're all like, yeah, sounds like the military, which... <laughs> It, it, yeah it's it's sad uh but i mean it's the truth and then shortly after you know the investigation was all done um they decided to send me to afghanistan oh do you think that the two are linked together at all honestly <laughs> i'm not a conspiracy theorist but yeah, might have something to do with it like, yeah, I could see it. I mean, I don't know because obviously I wasn't there, but like, yeah. it seems convenient that this would all happen. It would be a big deal on the base. And then suddenly you're getting deployed overseas. I wonder yeah. if anyone else has had that kind of experience. I was, I was notified of my deployment and then in Afghanistan within two and a half months. Wow. That seems, fa did it feel fast to you? That seems fast. It was fast. I missed all of the pre-deployment training. I didn't even get my smallpox shot. And being a veteran, you know, whenever mm -hmm. you go somewhere, mm -hmm. like, you get that. Like, that's like, you know, what everybody calls the deployment scars, your smallpox shot scar. Right. I, I didn't get my smallpox shot because it was that fast. Wow. That is, that is a story. I mean, so we've got two assaults and a rapid deployment. And so then you get to, you get to Afghanistan and then what was that like for you? I mean, Afghanistan, it was nice on one hand, horrible on the other. Like it was nice to be the hell away from Camp Lejeune. Like I was so over it. Um, although like I was, <laughs> I was in no state of mind to be out there. Like I was walking right. around without my, my sappy, my bulletproof plates and my vest, like, cause I didn't care. I was like, whatever, if I get shot and die, my, whatever, I don't care. If That's I get blown so up, whatever. Like I, I, they, I was like, they, they don't want to take care of me anyways. Like, they, so you really they, just, just want to care about at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And then. I mean, on top of that, with my hormone imbalances that I was having with my thyroid stuff that I was still dealing with, mm -hmm. um, like it, they, I was having trouble maintaining weight and like, and so the, I, you know, I was called a fat piece of shit all the time. Um, they put me on a BCP program, which is basically like they make you work out, but the way that they were making me work out was not in a way that really works for losing weight. It works for gaining muscle, it, mm. which in turn could make you lose weight, but, but it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't working for me. Plus I was on, you know, medications and stuff like that, that they were still trying to figure out when I got sent over there. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just a whole, it was a big shit show. So you're being basically every day just bullied about your weight yeah and i mean i know that any woman can identify with that i mean especially if it's a hormonal issue that you have no control over 
and you are doing everything possible. You already feel like bad enough because you don't look like yourself. You're putting yeah. this weight on. You're struggling with health issues. You've already been assaulted twice. You've been rapidly deployed to Afghanistan. And now you're struggling with weight issues. And on top of that, they're berating you about it. Yeah. So I, I, I totally get why you call it a shit show. <laughs> like, yeah. I just feel like, could they put you any lower? Like, yeah. How, how did you, how did you survive? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, it was just a day to day, like just live your life day to day. I didn't care if I lived or died. And apparently I was supposed to live because I'm still here. Um, wow. That and like, and I, I made some really good friends in Afghanistan with the people that I deployed with. And like people who I'm still some of the few people that I'm still in contact with to this day are the people that I deployed with in the military um, while, while I was in. And like there for a while, I went black for a little while. As soon as I got out in 2015, like I did not want anything to do with anything military. I didn't talk mm-hmm. to anybody that from, from when I was in, I, and just in the last two years, I've started, you know, reaching out and getting back into contact with people that um, I was in with and deployed with. Right. So I guess my question is, before you got med boarded out, you said you said that there was a third assault. Was, did that take place yeah. in Afghanistan? No, that was shortly after I got back from. Okay, so you actually had other than the weight issue, Afghanistan wasn't horrible. Yeah. Other than, other than the weight issue, Afghanistan was actually, I mean, my experience out there was not bad at all. Um, my entire unit came back. We didn't lose anybody while we were out there, That is a good which thing. is, uh, it's so phenomenal. I feel so lucky that that mm-hmm. was the way it was because I would hate to, to have lost anybody while we were out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, yeah. So other than that, I mean, like we, we received a lot of indirect fire, this that, and the other, but my personal experience in Afghanistan was not that bad. So like my PTSD springs more from the sexual assaults and rapes than Afghanistan. Right. I can imagine. So you get back from Afghanistan and is mm-hmm. that when you found out you were going to be med boarded out or what happened? So you get, you get back from Afghanistan and then they kind of, they do mental evaluations on you Mm -hmm. and you have to go through all this counseling stuff. And then, um, from that, they were like, well, something's up with this girl. Like, like we, we don't know what it is, but something's just not right. So then that's when they put me into psychiatric care. Um, I was never hospitalized or anything like that. Um, but I was, you know, they put, they put me into counseling and that, and it was just a whole kind of battle because they don't easily diagnose you with PTSD because they, they don't want to. Right. <laughs> right. It makes they, sense. Cause they honestly, they did a, they don't want to lose you. Um, and B, they don't want to have to pay you money after you get out for right. PTSD. 
Um, so it took a while to get the diagnosis, but as soon as I was diagnosed, I was out of the Marine Corps in less than a year. Okay. So what, what, so what exactly did they diagnose you with? I am diagnosed with, um, PTSD and a depression disorder. Okay. Fortunately, it was not a personality disorder because I actually just read an article about the military uh, diagnosing members with a personality disorder that can be considered a pre-existing condition in order for them not to be able to get benefits when they get out. And I, I'm horrified oh, I by that. that. Yeah. And I'm, I actually am going to do some more research into that and see if we can't mm-hmm. do a show on that in and of itself. So stay tuned for yeah, that. Definitely. But I'm glad that that's not what happened to you. So no, um, no, it, it was, they diagnosed me with PTSD and a depressive disorder. And basically that was my, um, disqualifying thing that they used on my med board to get me out of the Marine Corps. So, okay. So now you're getting out, right. Mm-hmm. And you're waiting to get out of the military. When did the third assault occur? Was that during it, that it time was short, period? It was shortly. No, no, no. It was before um, before they evaluated me after I got back from Afghanistan. Because you come back and then I went on leave for mm-hmm. a month. And then and then after that, like, they, they evaluated after I went on leave. I don't know why, but that's, that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. But um, so it was in between those times. So what what happened then? Was it like another barracks party? Or, yeah, it was just another barracks party. You think I would have learned, you know, after the first two times to avoid the barracks. Uh, eventually, um, when when I got back, I got assigned a room. This and the other, I got assaulted again. After that, I slept in my car. I refused oh to be in the barracks. Um, I I lived out of my car um, in the parking lot for the barracks for a decent bit, um, all the while fighting to get BAH because I could not live in the barracks. I can imagine. I couldn't, I just, I couldn't do it. And so I ended up moving in with friends. Um, they charged lived in your car for a while. You lived in your car because you could not Mm -hmm. bear to be in the barracks because you felt so unsafe. Mm -hmm. That is so Oh my God. Just like heart wrenching. Yeah. I mean, you do what you do to, to survive and you, you figure it out yourself because there's no, there's no handbook for it. <laughs> no, no, there's not. And so this time, did you, did, had you learned, you know what? I'm not reporting. Did you? Is yeah. I was just, saying? I'm not reporting this. No, I was like, I, <laughs> nope, not, not doing it because I, I know for a fact that since I couldn't identify the person, they're not going to find him. And if they don't find him, they're going to tell me that I lied. And I was not up for being called a liar by the NCIS again. Wow. So basically they taught you that it's better not to report and just suffer in silence than to report and seek justice. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many other people have had that experience and having have served.
because there are an alarming amount of assaults that happen for women serving in the military. Yeah. There. So okay. I know, I know of at least two people that are my best friends that have, that were assaulted and they know more people. It's just like, it's almost like it's an, it's an everyday occurrence. I swear. Like, it's so common that nobody's shocked or surprised anymore. Oh my God. That is just absolutely. Like I said, there needs to be like a hashtag me to the military <laughs> like yeah. movement because this is disturbing and absolutely no one is really doing anything about it. It's just like swept under the rug. And that is one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast because we all have stories you know, good or bad, but there is a culture of silence that exists surrounding military service. And we need to sort of break that down because no well, change you know, is ever going to happen if people don't know. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, it's not just women who get raped in the military. No, Men do too. And, and they, they don't report for shame of the fact that, you know, they're, they're supposed to be manly, you know, masculine, high, like super strong dudes. Like, and then, and then they get raped. There's no, most of them are like, there's no way they're going to report that. Absolutely. It is not just women. It's just that for men, I mean, the statistic I believe is one in 100. And because there's so many more men in the military, that actually should be a shocking number. You know what I mean? Yeah. But because there's yeah. less women and one and their statistic is one in four, it is pretty alarming because that's like your mother, your sister, your aunt, or, you know, your daughter yeah. that would have been raped having served, you know, and, yep. but for men, there's so many more men and mm -hmm. it's so much more like, I mean, it's equally awful, but for them much more emasculating and horrific that they just don't report it. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. And I just hope that something is done at some point because this has to, this has to change. Like mm -hmm. it's not right that what you experienced and you know, my heart just goes out to you, but you're here and yeah. you survived it. And so I mm -hmm. guess my next question is once you got out, how did you start? Because now you're this model and you're a producer of a fashion show and you're like, you know, a green belt with a, a stripe in martial arts. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. you've kind of really turned your life around. And I guess I want to know, how did you, how did you transition out and, and how did you overcome those obstacles that you brought out of the military with you? So for the main thing, main, for the most part, um, transitioning back to civilian life was really, really difficult for me. I, right out of the military, you know, I grew up around dogs. I was like, I'm going to train dogs. That's what I'm going to do for a living. Mm -hmm. So I used part of my GI Bill to go to this dog training school called Starmark Academy in Texas, which mm -hmm. it, it's great. They accept the GI Bill. Uh, it's a three month long course. And I had a blast. I loved it. Um, I was still definitely dealing with my PTSD stuff while I was there. I was on, you know, multiple different, um, medications, trying to control mm -hmm. symptoms. Um, 
my heart goes out to Semper Fi funds and the fact that they're a nonprofit organization that helps um, Marine Corps veterans um, transition back to civilian life. And mm -hmm. so they helped, you know, pay for transport to the school and stuff like that. Like they're, and to this day, like I'll, I'll get a phone call, you know, once a year, they'll call and check in with me and be like, Hey, are you guys okay? Like, are you doing good? Kind of a thing. They're an amazing organization. Mm -hmm. um, and so after, after dog training school, I moved in with some really, really good friends of mine, in Georgia that I met while I was in the military. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I'm going to train dogs. That's what I'm going to do. But you got to know your clientele kind of a thing in the middle of Georgia, like in the middle of nowhere, nobody wants to pay to get their dogs trained. So right. it, it didn't work out for me so well there. I ended up moving back to home, which is Washington state to learn more and train with Shannon Walker, who is the founder of Northwest Battle Buddies. That's a nonprofit organization that trains service animals for combat veterans diagnosed with PTSD or anxiety disorders and gives it to the veterans at no cost to them. And That's it's amazing. an amazing, it's a, it's a phenomenal organization. And I feel so honored that I was able to donate my time and help out and help train a little bit while, while I was able to like, I love working with dogs. Um, three, well, the, I yeah, I love working with dogs. I love, you know, that whole, the whole industry is just amazing. The reason why I got out of it was because my anxiety was so high mm -hmm. dealing with the owners. I was perfectly fine with the dogs. Right. And <laughs> Give me all the puppies, is. but. The animals are soon, amazing. <laughs> yeah. But as soon, as soon as you put me in with the owners, I'm like, eh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think this is working out for me. But, um, throughout all that time. I was still dealing with my anxiety and depression. I was put on a lot of different medications to help control those kinds of things. And for the, I was just a zombie, honestly, mm -hmm. for a while because I was on like six different meds that, <laughs> and I just, I just felt super zombie-ish. I, I was a shut-in. I didn't leave my house unless it was for work working with the dogs or, you know, I did most of my grocery shopping through Amazon prime pantry, hit them up. They're amazing. Can identify with that, like spending some time where you're just not leaving your house and you're avoiding, you know, yeah. society because of anxiety or what other issues mm -hmm. you have. Yeah. Well, and then it got to a point where, you know, my doctors were like, Hey, yo, like you gotta do something like this is not like, this is not a good way to live your life. Basically, they told me that I needed to find an extracurricular activity that wasn't work um, to join and, or, and get me out in the world, or they were going to put me in an inpatient program. Goodness. Which I didn't want to go with what I dubbed as crazy jail, because <laughs> right. my, my mother has been in, <laughs> my, my mother's been in, inpatient, in an inpatient program. She was diagnosed with complex PTSD, mm -hmm. um, but, and so like, I knew like, there's no leaving once you're in, like, you can't be like, Oh, uh, just kidding. I want to go now. Like yeah. they, you're, you're there until the doctors say that. Yes. 
they can leave now. And so I was like, mm, you're not putting my ass in crazy jail. No. <laughs> no, I would not want yeah. that. <laughs> I would not want that either. So, yeah. so what did you decide to do? That's when I went on Groupon because I was broke. <laughs> and um, I found uh, a martial arts thing. And martial arts was something that I was always like super interested in and thought was a good idea when I was younger, just never did it. And um, well, I found, I found, you know, an American martial arts Vancouver. I found the, it was like 50 bucks or something like that on the Groupon and it came with the uniform. So I was like, even if I hate it, at least I got a cool Halloween costume <laughs> out of the deal. Like, if I hate it, oh well, I have a Halloween costume. I don't have to go out and buy another haul. Right. <laughs> for, you know, the part, all the parties that I wouldn't go to. But, <laughs> <you know>. Right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, so I, I started training with, um, I started, I went to my first class and that was just like a huge, like, I was so nervous at that point, you know, I was close to 200 pounds. I was pretty overweight, you know, medications. I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing like because of the depression. Mm -hmm. And so like, it was just like a whole, like I was definitely not a healthy person at that point in time. Right. Um, I went in and I started studying. I fell in love with, you know, the martial arts program and cause just because of, you know, the way it's structured is similar to the military and that's all I knew. So right. I was like, okay, cool. I can, I can do this. Like, and then the people there were just all so nice. And you know, my teacher, he was also a Marine and he is a veteran. And I mean, he has dealt with PTSD and has come back from, from it for the most part. And so I was like, if anybody can coach me through this, it's going to be this person. Um, yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. And so I started studying and I mean, gosh, I started studying August of 2016, something like that. And I am way, way better for it. Um, I, you know, I lost weight, which boosted my self-confidence. I right. feel competent in my That's ability amazing. to defend myself. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel confident in my ability to defend myself. Like if someone tried to, you know, come up on me, like I could take care of it. Like nobody's laying a hand on to, you again. Cool point, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like cool point, obviously. And I don't go out looking for fights, and I don't purposefully put myself in situations where you know my safety could be a concern. Uh, like I, I do, I do everything smart. Like if I'm going to go out drinking with friends, I do it with a lot of friends or people that I trust mm -hmm. um, because of, you know, I've known them for a long time or like they, you just feel safe with proven them. themselves. Right. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you kind of, you kind of learn a sense of, you know, feel like you feel it out. Like, Oh, you know, this is a good person. You, you get that gut feeling mm -hmm. about people for the most part especially after being through some of the shit that you know that I've been through like you you eventually get that gut feeling and you learn to trust it right and you're trusting your intuition mm -hmm. so okay so 
I would say from listening to you that between the dogs and martial arts, that's what helped you come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So I guess my, what I've learned is that if you're struggling with P- PTSD, something that might help you is martial arts and pets. Mm-hmm. And we know that pets are proven yeah. to help. So that I think is some really good um, advice and some tips to take with you, anyone who's mm-hmm. listening, who is still in the struggle, finding something yeah. you love to do um, that can help you, you know, feel better about yourself in one way or another seem to work really well for you. Yeah. And it's not only surrounding yourself with things that you love to do, it's surrounding yourself with people who will be there for you. Mm, I see. Even even when it's it's a rough time, even you know you're canceling on them consistently and stuff like that, you you have to find the people that are there to support you, that are there to help you. That's what got me through. Mm-hmm. Yes, the martial arts. Yes, the dogs. Like all that stuff is amazing and great, but mm-hmm. that support system is by far the most important thing that you can find and have. And it has taken me years to find the right support system. Right. And as a matter of fact, uh, what we're doing here with the Female Veterans Podcast is we are building a secondary support system so Mm -hmm. that you know that we understand what you're going through and that we're here for you to help in whatever way we can. Um, So Nicole, you are a successful model in the Portland area. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? I hate to say it. It's so cliche. I started an Instagram account. Like you have to do photos. You had to meet photographers. Like, well, well, yeah. yeah not it's everyone a lot is work. successful it's, at that. No. No, 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 no. It's, it is a lot of work, but how I started, I started an Instagram account and then I started messaging photographers being like, Hey, I'm brand new. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Would you work with me? Because the only way to get better at it is to do it. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you when I first started, Oh dear Lord, my, (laughs) I was so awkward in front of a camera. I mean, growing up, I was the band geek. Like, I, I wore uniforms. So I looked like everybody else. So I would not stand out in a picture. Like, right. <laughs> but being a girl, some, you know, I, did, I grew up watching America's Next Top Model. Thought modeling was super cool, but never felt, you know, self confident or like being like, yeah, this is something that I could do. Right. Um, until after, you know, the martial arts built my confidence up and I started feeling like, you know, yeah, like, I'm hot as hell. <laughs> like, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, girl. I love that self-confidence. Like, 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 I'm a strong person. And don't get me wrong, I struggle every day with body positivity and being self-conscious about my weight, about mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. Don't we all? Every, every person does. It's normal. But um, I, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try this. And... I put the work in. I practice in front of a mirror. Sometimes I feel like such a freaking narcissist because I'm sitting in front of the mirror, like staring at my face, trying to like, if I do this, 
this creates a shadow here, which makes my face look amazing. And then if I do this, it gives me three chins. <laughs> like, so let's right. not do the three chins. Right? No, three chins is a no. <laughs> but I mean, like, and then on top of that, like the, the beauty industry the, in this day and age, like Photoshop can make somebody who's plus size look like somebody who's a size zero. So don't be looking at all those magazines and be like, hmm, like, I, I want to be exactly like them. No, the only way they get like that is a lot of Photoshop and plastic surgery. Mm, like, that's, true. that's, I mean, yes, a lot of it is also, you know, they're maintaining their bodies, they're working out, they're doing this, all, all the things. And that's very important. And you should do that as well. But at, uh, on the other hand, there is Photoshop and it, does happen and like I I don't think I have any images on my feed that are not photoshopped honestly okay really full, quick full transparency really quick that's awesome by the way but really quick you said your feed tell everybody where they can see your photos yeah <laughs> important thing to, to kind of shout out there hey um, so my my my, my Instagram account for modeling is Nicole underscore Kitchy or um, N-I-C-O-L-E underscore Kitchy, which is K-I-T-C-H-I. Uh, I'm sure you're going to add the tag in the description and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, same name on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> you're on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so basic, so my, my Facebook, same thing. Um, like same, same name. And those are my modeling profiles and you can go on there and see all my images and stuff like that. Um, That's incredible work. Oh, <laughs> you're the sweetest. I love you. <laughs> um, awesome. But, but it's been, it's been, gosh, I've been modeling for a little bit over a year now. It was a year in April and it's been a lot of trial and error. I've been denied more times than I've been accepted. Like, it, it, and that's just a part of the industry. You just have to put yourself out there and you have to be strong and confident in who you are and what you will and will not photograph all the things in order to kind of create your brand and make your way. Um, so in the last, I would say probably three or four months um, has been some of my biggest accomplishments. Um, Last oh. year in July, I got cast in a, in a movie called The Alliance by Robert J.L. Butler, and I love nice. him. And, I mean, it was just, like, it was, it was a low-budget low film, this and the other, so, like, it's you not, like, premiering. It, it's, it's, not, it's not blockbuster or anything, but, um, I mean, you got to start pretty, somewhere, though. Yeah, you, you got to start somewhere, and that when I got into that movie, it, I met some amazing people. And from there, it just, in the last three months, it got released um, to us. We finally had a huge viewing for the whole cast that we went and saw. And it's been put into many film festivals. I don't know all of them. But it's won awards and film festivals. And we'll so that info in the description all. for the movie also. Yeah. Yes. Robert, I love you. <laughs> Shout out to Robert. <laughs> Shout out to him. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, shout out to uh, Chris 
Dina, or Red Calder is her modeling name, who pushed me to model in the beginning. Oh, uh, friends, man. She, yeah, friend. she, she's known me forever. She, she knew me back when I was in high school, dyeing my hair all kinds of crazy colors. And, you know, she was a, she was the one, my one cheerleader when I started modeling. She's like, go do it, girl. Don't, don't care about what other people think. You're beautiful. Amazing. Go do Aww. it. <laughs> Everybody is a cheerleader phenomenal. like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so from there, I, we, we, we were cast actually in the movie together and her, and so we did the movie thing together. And then, um, I auditioned for fringe fashion PDX, which is, um, the organization that I'm help, um, produce and coordinate. And, um, I, I produced the, I was the production manager of the dreams show, which is the very first show, um, that was, Mm -hmm. um, in July. And then, um, I'm coordinating, I'm helping coordinate the the two, the next two shows, Mm -hmm. uh, which is August 17th and August 18th. Get your tickets at www.fringefashionpdx.com. Again, (laughs) the description is going to be full of these (laughs) links. (laughs) <laughs> so that you can take and she is gonna walk in this show on the mm-hmm. 18th I'm right on the, I, yep I'm walking on the 18th I am modeling for oh gosh what was it Rosalie I'm modeling for Rosalie Rester who is a Portland designer um, cool. I'm super super excited um so I started coordinating for this show because uh, of my background in logistics from the military, a uh, good friend and amazing model, Nicole Nance, reached out to me, and she was like, hey, you know, the show it has expanded exponentially from the first show. We bit off a little bit more than we can chew mm-hmm. um, this year. Can you help me with the coordination? Because we, we were friends, and we had been talking before, and she knew that I had, you know, backgrounds in organization and logistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she reached out to me and I, you know, was like, yeah, definitely for sure. And started coordinating. I've done, I think I've coordinated, uh, three or four different photo shoots. The fourth one being the biggest one where, you know, included, um, around 10 or so models. Um, I think four or five different photographers and, five or six different designers yeah wow. so that that was quite the the whole ordeal in organization it was my first time ever coordinating something for fashion for the fashion industry at this scale so I Amazing. it it was quite the experience for sure um and I love my fringe family my friends people like they have accepted me and you know we're just a big you know family and one of the things that I love most about them is the fact that you know their main thing that they want to preach and get out there is inclusivity like we have models who are in you know in a wheelchair we have models who are short we have plus size models we have tall models we have 
you know, the, the models that you usually see on regular fashion shows that, that are, you know, the regular model size is what, what the fashion industry wants these days. We have people who are way out there. We have transgender. We, we have, you know, gay models. Old, older models uh we include everybody no matter what that's beautiful and, and and that's what we preach and we want everybody to have a safe space to be creative and be who they are and that's, that's why i love them well, uh, they, i respect they, that i am all about inclusivity and i support any organization that is as well so we're definitely going to shout them out yeah and like in french fashion they, they have two shows, um, the 17th and the 18th. The 17th is going to have a lot of live performances of, you know, dancers, pole dancers. We have a live band that's going to be performing. There's going to be little pop-up shops and stuff like that. For Sounds like fun. Thing. It's going to be a blast. I'm super <laughs> excited. I cannot wait. <laughs> um, and that, that's, I think the tickets are $25 for, for that night. And, and if you buy them separately, they're $25 a piece. But if you buy them together, they're $35. Well, I mean, save money, right? Gotta, That's gotta right. That out there. That's right. So if it, you want to check affordable. out more, if you want to check out more about Fringe Fashion PDX, check out www.fringefashionpdx.com. And of course, I will put all the info in the description box. Yes. And like in the last two months, three, two, three months that I've been, been a part of them, I have met, that's where most of my, you know, success has started to come out because, you know, you, I did, I had a long time of, you know, basically being stagnant and really just trying to work and work and work. The things industry is all about who you know. It's all about who you know and what you can do with what you got. So I've been working on practicing, posing, knowing, knowing fashion is crazy, crazy. There's so much information out there. So many different designers, photographers, knowing how to position your body. I mean, you think it's so easy. Like, oh, you're just getting your picture taken. It's like, no. Like, do you know how many bad pictures that I have taken? Because you don't have a mirror. It's not like you're looking at your, yourself, like you're I taking totally a selfie, like, and you can see exactly. <laughs> Exactly what you look like. You have right. no idea what you look like for that camera. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so, but I mean, it's it's been quite the ride. When I when I first started, I didn't think it was going to be nearly as hard as it is. But you know, I, I just I perseverance and same same thing. Like you know, when I joined the military, people told me that you know, I wouldn't make it. That this that like you like oh you'll never make it. Oh you'll never be good at it. Right. And basically, it's like, uh, screw you, watch me. <laughs> I love your attitude. <laughs> watch me. <laughs> so basically, yeah. I feel like I always say to people that perseverance is a superpower. And I really believe that. And it sounds yeah. like it has been one for you in your modeling career. My modeling career? And I refuse I absolutely refuse to have a victim mentality mm -hmm. and I refuse to perceive myself as a victim. I, and that's why I'm so open about with what, what I've been through about my life. Um, it's, it's not a secret. Like, uh, if what I can share will help anybody out there, 
I want to help them. I love that. I love that. So I want to just thank you so much for being a guest on my little podcast and sharing your story, (laughs) sharing your story. It means so much to me because as you know, I am founding Artemisia, which is a nonprofit organization that aims to help homeless and struggling female veterans. And I believe that Mm -hmm. doing this podcast means we can reach more people if we just open up and share our stories that we just don't know who needs to hear it. And at that time, we don't know who we could help, who we could inspire, and whose life we could potentially save. And that is the point of this podcast. And I just want to thank you so much for being a guest today and sharing your story and being so open and so cool and so vulnerable and passing on so much knowledge of how you came through the other side and, and Mm -hmm. embarked on a successful career. And I just think you're absolutely incredible. And I appreciate you so much. The one last thing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) The one last thing before we go, I want to say, I want to ask you is, do you have any advice or tips for anyone out there who might be in the struggle right now? My biggest advice is finding something to live for, something that you love and being with the people that are going to support you no matter what. That is what I have found. And those are the people that I have chosen to keep in my life. Uh, My family is a big part of, you know, my support system. My stepmom, love her to death. She is my sounding blanket and my sanity. Like, she's pretty awesome. She's amazing. I I love her uh, because she's able to give me, you know, the the outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like, just find the people who are going to be there for you. It doesn't matter, like, if you just met them yesterday. If they're going to be there for you and they're going to be your best friend, stick with it. Mm-hmm. Stick with them. Some of the people that I've met that have been my biggest cheerleaders are some of the people I never would have thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it just takes, you know, just sticking yourself out there just a little bit. And, and trust me, I know it's hard. If anybody knows it's hard, they, the doctors had to threaten me with crazy jail (laughs) (laughs) to get me out there. It's hard. It's hard as shit. But Mm -hmm. if you stick to your guns and you continue to fight for yourself, because it's a fight, it's not easy. And you, I promise you, even if you can't see the light, it is at the end. Oh my God. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. And I 100% agree. And I just love that advice so much. Again, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and being so honest and so vulnerable and so raw and real. I cannot thank you enough. And all of you listening, I just want to thank you so much for listening today and being on this journey with me. I appreciate you so, 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 so much. I love you guys, and I will talk to you next time. Bye, (laughs) y'all. Bye.